the Lord. John chapter 5, if you are visiting with us, we are studying the gospel of John on Sunday morning. And it is our habit, it is our pattern just to go section by section through it. The next verse is the next verse. The next section is the next section. We have been three weeks in chapter 5. And this morning, we're going to complete that chapter, Lord willing. And I want you to pick it up in verse number 30 with me. John chapter 5 and verse 30. This is jumping into the middle of a very long discourse that begins back in verse number 17. We've covered these verses before. But in verse number 30, Jesus says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. He sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light. And ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither, neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from man, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe, which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Since the gospel era, since the time of Christ's ministry, 2,000 years since, there have been probably hundreds of individuals that have come on the scene claiming to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. This John that wrote the gospel also wrote 1 John, and he warned, he warned that there would be many false prophets that would come to deceive the world, and history has borne out how true that prophecy has been. In the mid to late 18th, in the mid to late 1700s, there was a female prophet in England. Her name was Anne Lee, Anne Lee, and Anne Lee preached a strict celibacy and that it was possible to obtain sinless perfection by not mingling with the opposite sex. She attracted a little gathering of followers. They became known as the shakers because they would get together in their meetings. They would begin to shake violently and they believed that by so doing, they were purging sin out of their body. She never had a formal education, claimed to be able to speak in 72 languages Anne Lee was basically a crackpot. She came to call herself Anne the Word or Mother Anne. And she believed that she was Christ's female counterpart, that Christ had come back to the earth, but this time he had appeared as a female and she was the female Christ. In the mid-1800s, there was a Mormon named Arnold Palmer who believed that he was the reincarnation of Christ as well. He claimed that Christ entered into his body, and thereafter he became known as Potter Christ. That was the title that he took for himself. He wrote a book, said it was dictated by angels, and said that this would be the book that all men will be judged by at the final judgment. 
He led a small community of followers to settle in Council Bluff, Iowa, where he basically spent his days wandering around town just being odd. And in 1872, he announced to his little church that the time had come for him to ascend back to the Father. So he rode a donkey, and his little church followed him out to the edge of a cliff. He got off the donkey, walked to the edge of the cliff, and jumped off, intending to ascend. But instead, he descended very quickly and fell to his death. And we could tell stories all day of, of crackpots and false prophets who claimed to be the Messiah or the reappearance of Jesus Christ. But the one thing that they all lacked was credentials. Credentials. You see, the Old Testament prophesied who the Messiah would be and where he would come from and what he would do when he got here and how the nation of Israel would know that, that this is the one. And if some rabbi had taken the time to compile all of the prophecies and made a list of it, it would have been irrefutable evidence that Jesus is the Messiah that the Old Testament talked about. You know what's so amazing is that no no matter how outlandish the claims, no matter how weird the person, any person who comes along who claims to be the Messiah or the Christ or some prophet will have somebody else follow him. But, But here comes Jesus Christ, the one person that meets every criteria of the Old Testament, and most people rejected him. What blinded the nation of Israel to Christ was that he didn't look like what they thought he would look like. They had their expectations, and he did not meet their expectations. He meets the picture of the prophets in the Old Testament, but he does not fit the image that they already had in their mind. He is born in humble Bethlehem. He is raised in a peasant's family. Uh, he, he grows into manhood in obscurity. Uh, his only title is, is carpenter. Uh, when he steps out of the shadows, he doesn't come as a dynamic leader. He comes as, as a meek man. Th- those poor fishermen that are following him around, that does not add to his image at all. Though he has all the criteria and he has all the credentials, they still rejected him. Now, we've been in John chapter 5 for several weeks. It is a very pivotal chapter. This is a key chapter, not just only in the gospel, but also in the entire life of Christ. And the healing of the impotent man of the pool of Bethesda is what starts the whole chain of events off. And 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 Jesus heals this man who has an infirmity for, for 38 years, and then he instructs him to take up his bed and walk. And this man is later seen in the temple praising God. And the religious police come to him, and they begin to interrogate him about carrying his bed. Now, you need to understand that the bed is not like a four-poster queen-size bed, all right? It was probably like a, a bamboo mat or something along those lines. And he's carrying it probably under his arm or over his shoulder. And, 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 and there's nothing in the law that says that you can't carry your bed on the Sabbath day. But they have made some rules. And this violates their silly rules. And, and so, so they ask him, who gave you the authority to break our rules? He points out Jesus. And so they begin to question him. And in verse number 17, verse 17, down to the end of the chapter, Jesus answers them. And in this answer, we've looked at it for two weeks now, but in this answer, he gives the most complete, the most exhaustive, the most dogmatic statement of his deity as anywhere else in the Bible. And he basically unequivocally tells these Jewish leaders that I and the Father are one. Same essence, same nature, same authority, same power, same honor, same worship. We are one. He even says that the Father has given all judgment into my hand. Last week, Resurrection Sunday, he says, I have the power of resurrection, and one day I will judge all men. Now, I have to tell you that if any of that is not true, that is some outlandish claim. If what he said cannot be verified, it can't be confirmed, it cannot be backed up, then, then people are going to put him in the same group as Ann Lee and Potter Christ and, and a host of other false Christs. Now, you already know that the truth of John chapter 5 is the most consequential truth in all the world. I know that I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but the most important truth 
that you will ever learn in life is who Jesus Christ is. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, then you're going to go to hell forever. You must believe that Jesus is God. You must believe more than that, but it all starts with that one doctrine. So here we are. We're in the middle of a very long discourse. Jesus has made the most dogmatic, the most absolute statement about his deity anywhere in the Bible. There is not a person that was standing there that day that didn't understand exactly what Jesus was saying. And they are shocked. They, they are traumatized. Because what he has just said is the worst kind of blasphemy to their ears. What he has just said is punishable by death in their Jewish court. And so Jesus, Jesus doesn't just make the claim. Now what he's going to do is he's going to give the evidences to his claims. He's going to begin to lay out witnesses one right after another. All right, you're having a hard time believing, you understand it, but, but here's the witness. How about this witness? Here's, here's this witness. And so it's not some false prophet making a crazy claim. I have witnesses to back this up. And truth be told, truth be told, you can't believe everything that you hear, right? Verify. Verify, right? I, 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 I'm skeptical. In our judicial system, hearsay is not admissible evidence. In the Jewish court of law, an accusation had be before two or three witnesses. Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall a matter be established. So Jesus doesn't ask the nation to just blindly believe what I'm saying. No, I have some witnesses and you must believe my word because here are my credentials. That's what this section is about. Look at verse 30. Watch this. He says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. When you read verse 17 down to verse number 47, there's no, there, there's no indication that there's any pause, that they interrupted him. And so there's, there's no paragraph break right here. There's, there's no indication that there is a pause. But I can almost imagine at the end of verse 29, where his claim that that judgment is given into my hand, that this is, these are hard sayings. And I can almost imagine that after he has made that statement that he stops and just pauses. And I, and I can see the Jews clamoring and, 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 and talking amongst themselves. I mean, they're angry. They are angry enough that they are ready to kill him right now. And so, so he just pauses maybe for just a minute. Verse 30 is a summary of verse 17 to 29. The last two weeks, the verses that we preached, basically verse 30 is a recap of what he has said. Here's what he's saying. I am from the Father, and I am equal to God, and I don't do anything of my own will. Me healing the impotent man is the same as the Father healing the impotent man. If you accuse me of breaking the Sabbath, that was the original charge, then you're going to have to accuse the Father of breaking the Sabbath because I do not work independently of the Father. I only do what God does. I only say what God says. I don't have a different will than the Father. And notice what he says in verse 30. Now, now there's, a, there's a lot of material to cover right here, all right? A lot of material, all right? And we can't be in John 5 forever, so I've got to get through these verses, all right? But, but I want you to hold your Bible open. Hold your Bible open, and I want you to look at the Bible because it's just the, the Bible's the only thing that matters, all right? We're just going to study the Bible. He says in verse number 30, he says, um, or verse number 31, he says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. If what he says is not true, then he's guilty of blasphemy. But if what he says is true, then they are guilty of blasphemy. Now, here's what Jesus is doing. He is forcing the issue. No one will be allowed to walk away from this conversation with a neutral position. You're going to have to make up your mind. And it's interesting to me, if you go back and read verse 17 to 29, and we don't, 
he talks about himself in the third person, the son of man, the son of man, the son of man. In verse 30, he switches it to first person. Look at it. I can of my own self do nothing as I hear. I judge and my judgment is, ju you can't miss it. He is saying me, me right here, right here, standing in front of you. I am saying that I am the son of God. He says in verse 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that he has made some false claims? If that's the case, it sure doesn't make sense, does it? I believe what he's saying is that if I am the only witness, then it's not a true witness to you. Hold, hold your finger right here. Two pages over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and look at verse number 14. John 8 and verse 14. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. So in one verse he says the witness is not true. In the next verse he says that his witness is true. And I believe that all that Jesus is saying is that you would not accept my witness if I am the only witness. If I come on the scene, no evidence, no credentials, no witnesses, then here's what they would have done. They would have thrown Deuteronomy 19.15 at him. Two witnesses or the mouth of three shall a matter be established. So Jesus says, I, I put these claims out here. I stand upon these claims. This is who I am. And here is the evidence. He's beginning to lay out witness after witness after witness. Notice quickly, quickly in this, quickly in this passage, there, there's the confirmation by many witnesses. And the first witness is the witness of the Father. Look at verse 32. We're going to walk through this text. He says in verse 32, there is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now, some commentators say that he's talking about John the Baptist there. He's going to talk about John the Baptist in the next verse. I believe the witness that he's talking about here is the witness of the Father. He says that this witness is true. It is true. Look, if you would, down at verse 37, the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. What was the witness of the Father? standing on the banks of the Jordan River, voice out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And please understand, it's not that Jesus had doubts about himself. I don't think that Jesus was unsure about his mission before that testimony from heaven, but he's telling them that the father has testified of me and his testimony is true. I have the witness of the father. But then secondly, there's the witness of John the Baptist. Look at verse number 33. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. So, so I have the witness of the Father, but now I have the witness of John the Baptist. He calls John as a witness. And these Jews, they, they knew John well. And they knew what John had said about Jesus. Now, Jesus is declaring that what John said out there in that wilderness about me was true. You can go back to John chapter 1. Well, this is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's true. But then Jesus says something odd. He, he says, I don't need to receive testimony from any man. But he mentions John anyway, and he says that ye might be Saved. He mentions John because it may be a saving help to those who heard him. He says in verse 35, he was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. You ought to underline in your Bible that little phrase, for a season. Here's what happened. John came into a very dark world. Israel had not had a prophet for 400 years. And when John came on, his light shone very brightly in that dark world, and people responded very favorably to him. 
And the Bible says that they rejoiced in his life. They rejoiced in John. They went out to hear John. They gladly heard John. They received his message. Many repented. Many were baptized for a season. Do you see that? For a season. And that seems to indicate that the great mass of people that went out to follow John eventually turned away from John. For a season they came and they heard and they were baptized and they had some spiritual activity, but it never got deep into their heart. By the way, we see that today, don't we? People put on a little bit of religious garb and and they intend to, to follow God. But you can be responsive to truth for a season and then learn the demands of the truth and turn away. Do you know what John was for them? He was a fad. Now, 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 now hear me out. Hear, hear me out. You ever notice how people are so quick to follow something new? New movement, new teaching, new teacher, whatever it might be, a new charismatic leader, always jumping onto something new, new. Growing up, I never heard about the flat earth. Now you have flat earth society. You got preachers getting up and preaching about the flat earth. It's new. Sometimes always something new. Right, right now, right now you have guys who are claiming to have a deliverance ministry. That's the newest thing. And so they're having meetings and, and they're casting out demons. Got a devil behind every tree, even casting out demons out of saved people that they suppose. You know what that is? That's a fad. That's what that is. Give it a few years, it'll be something else. You will beat your brains out trying to answer every little new thing that comes along. It's impossible because about the time you've answered that one, there'll be another one pop up, something else will pop up, and then always looking for something new. I'll tell you the best thing to do. Just study your Bible, get some truth in, and don't carry it, don't get carried away by learning something new. I have seen a dozen of these new doctrines keep popping up for a season. But the Bible and truth just keep standing. Now, John, come, John comes on the scene for a season. Now, I'll tell you what I believe, and I, I could prove this if I had time to bear it out. When the Pharisees came to question John in John chapter 1, they asked him, are you Elias? Are you that prophet? And here's what they wanted. They wanted John to be the Messiah. He's popular. He's bold. He's courageous. He has a large following. Maybe this is the guy that folks will coalesce around. We can get an army and we can drive the Roman, uh, lead, the Roman opposition out of here. They rejoice in his life for a season. But when John rejected their religious system, they rejected John. They accepted the prophet, but they rejected his message. They believed that John had come from God but they didn't receive what he said about Christ. Because Jesus said, if you'd have believed him, you'd have believed in me. So though they had followed John, they turned away from John, but Jesus reminds them that John's testimony of me was true. Was true. Hold your finger right here. Go, go to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Don't, don't lose John 5. Look, look at Luke chapter 20. And Jesus preaching in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes, they come to him challenging his authority. So look at Luke 20 and verse 1. And it came to pass on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority. You can't just come in here and start preaching. You're not authorized. You don't have a degree. You didn't go to our approved colleges. You don't have our permission. You're not a member of our ministerial association. Who gave you this authority? Now be careful. Be careful, boys. Look at verse number three. He answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of me? You answer a question for me, I'll answer a question for you. So he asked a simple question. John, John, was he from heaven 
Or was he from men? Was he legit or was he not? It's a simple question. Simple question. Be careful, boys. Now walk into a trap right here. But, but this is but, so, so, so verse number four or verse number five. And they reasoned within themselves. They got into a holy huddle. Let's figure this out. If we shall say from heaven, he'll say them, why then believed ye him not? But if we say of men, all the people will stone us, will they be persuaded that John was a prophet? Do you see that? If we say he was from God, then he's going to ask us, then why don't we believe what he said about him? We can't say it's from men because everybody loved John. They'll stone us still. We can't, we can't do that. They know the truth, but they are willfully blind to the truth because they hated Christ so much. John said, Jesus said, John witnessed of me and his witness was true. Come, come back to John 5. Come back to John 5. There's the witness of the Father. There's the witness of John. But then there's the witness of his works. Look at verse number 36. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which has sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard, heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Now, now remember, remember, he talks about his works. John's gospel is the gospel of signs. He calls the miracles that he does signs and wonders. Do you remember John 20? Many other signs truly did Jesus do. So, so these, every miracle that he did is like a signpost. And it's pointing to his deity. Look, look at what I have done and let that tell you that I am who I claim to be because who else could do these works? Nicodemus. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Why? For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And it's interesting that of all of the charges that the Pharisees and the religious police leveled at Jesus, they never questioned his miracles. They never said, well, those miracles are fake. You can't verify that. It stays like some fake faith healer that you find on TBN. No, the evidence is irrefutable is what it is. In fact, one page over to John chapter 7. Keep your Bible open. John 7, look at verse 28. John 7 and verse 28. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. So he's, he's back in the temple. He's preaching the same thing. So in verse number 30, then they sought to take him, but no man laid, be, laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. Now watch what the common people say. Many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh Christ, Messiah. When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? They knew the scriptures that when the Messiah comes, he's going to do mighty works. But if he's not the one, then is there coming somebody else that's going to do more than he's doing? Do you, do you see that? If we are not to believe that he's the Messiah, with all the miracles he's doing. I mean, you really want us to believe somebody else is coming on the scene that's going to do mightier works than him? Look at John chapter 10. Look at John chapter 10. I show this to you. John chapter 10, look at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. John 11 Verse 47, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we for this man doeth many miracles? See how it's a problem for him? John 14, John 14 and verse 11, Jesus said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the very work's sake. If that's the only reason you can believe me, then believe me for what you have seen. 
Look at John chapter 15. John 15 and verse number 24. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus is telling these Pharisees what they already knew, but they would not accept hundreds of miracles. One Jewish historian said that disease was all but eradicated out of Israel during his three years of ministry. Authority over demons and authority over nature and authority over disease and authority over over death. And they stood up and they watched him close up. I mean, look at me right now. This is not sleight of hand. This is not healing healing somebody with a headache or a tummy ache that nobody can verify. No, look at me up close. These are the miracles that I'm doing. How do you fake healing a blind man? How do you fake healing a, an impotent man? How do you fake healing a lame man? How do you fake healing a man who has been dead? How do you fake healing a man, raising a man from the dead that's been in the grave for four days? And over and over he said, believe me for my works sake. Look at what I'm doing and believe me. It's as if Jesus is accommodating the skepticism and the unbelief of Israel. He's saying, I'm doing these works before you to give you plenty of evidence and to give you reason to believe. And if you can't believe me for my work's sake, then go back and ask the blind man and go ask the lame man and go ask the deaf man and go ask the widow who was out there burying her son and ask them who touched them and believe me. And can I tell you, by the way, it is just the same today the most important truth you'll ever consider. Who is Jesus Christ? And the Father bears witness to him to the world, does he not? And he has sent preachers like John the Baptist all over the land to preach him. But not only that, Christ has done his greatest miracle in you. In you, and in you, and in you. His greatest works. His greatest works are testified right right here. And your lost neighbor and your coworker and your family ought to be able to see the miracle that he did in your life, the change that he wrought in your life, and you become one more witness to Jesus Christ, the witness of his works. But then come back to John 5. I know I have to hurry. Verse number 37, the witness of the scriptures. The Father himself which has sent me has borne witness of me. Even even neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he has sent him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they. Do you see how he's building that witness? Do, Do you see that? Search the scriptures. Can I tell you, nobody did that better than the Jews. Yeah. There's one thing you could not accuse the Jews of that was slacking off in their Bible study. If they did anything, they searched the scriptures. But did you know that people can read the Bible all day long and still not see Jesus? Do you know how they studied the scriptures? They're scribes or they're copyists, and they copied the scriptures. And, and they had entire bodies of scribes that, that devoted their life to preserving the words of the Old Testament. In fact, we can thank God for that because we have the Old Testament text in part because of those scribes that were so careful in copying the words. Here's how they studied the scriptures. They counted every word in the Old Testament. And then they went back and they counted every letter. They counted the middle word in every book. They knew how many lines were on a scroll and how many words were in each line. They studied the scriptures. I mean, they knew it frontwards and backwards, and they never saw Jesus. Jesus said Moses and the prophets speak of him. They never found him in all their study. You know, it's interesting. You, you preachers understand this. I read a lot of commentaries, a lot of commentaries. And a lot of commentaries, a lot of commentaries spend a lot of time debating this hypothesis and that hypothesis. And did Moses write all five books of the Pentateuch? And are there two Isaiahs writing? You can be a scholar 
and you can study the scriptures in that light. But I'm going to tell you something. If you don't ever get past the hypotheses and the debates and the doodle, all, all of that stuff, and if you don't ever see Jesus in this book and your heart is not filled with wonder, you're wasting your time. But Jesus said, these are they which testify of me. Some scholar can study the Bible and debate this part and that part and, 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 and can this be trusted and can we trust that? And he never sees Christ. Interesting thing to me, though, some PhD, some theologian studied the Bible all of his life, and all he has is debates and contradictions. And then some lost sinner, some lost sinner that's heard the gospel and is troubled, gets in his room one night, and he takes out the Bible that his mama gave him a long time ago, and he starts reading through the gospel of John, gets to about John 3, about John chapter 4, and the light starts coming in on him, and he falls on his knees in the middle of the night, calls out to God, cries out for Jesus, because these are they which testify of me. You know what you'll find in the Bible? You'll find exactly what you're looking for. If you're looking for contradictions and errors, you'll find all kinds of places what you think is a contradiction. But if you come looking for Jesus, you'll find him on every page. <laughs> I find my Lord in the Bible whenever I test him. He's the theme of the Bible. He's the center and heart of the book. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily fair. Fair whenever I open my Bible the Lord of the Bible is there. Ah, oh, the witness of the scriptures. And Jesus tells them why they don't see him in the scriptures. Look at it. He says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. And he said, I'll not come to you that ye might have life. I've received not honor from him, but I know you. Let me find my verse here real quick. Back up to verse number, back up to verse number 37. The Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. He hath ne neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Here it is, verse 38. And ye have not his word abiding in you. You have his word on a scroll, but you don't have it in your heart. I suppose if I could collect every Bible that every person in here owns, home, car, wherever, if we could collect all of our Bibles and stack them up, we would have a stack of hundreds of Bibles. We have these young men in our church who have become Bible aficionados, buying designer Bibles, so Schuyler Bibles and Allen Bibles and expensive Bibles. We got guys walking around carrying three, $400 Bibles. Jacob Parker went with me to a meeting the other day, and he had a different Bible for every service. He just, he's a Bible addict is what he is. He spent more on Bibles than I've spent on my truck, it seems like. And I suppose there's a lot worse things to buy than Bibles. I'm, I'm all for that. But owning a Bible doesn't make you spiritual. In fact, owning a Bible doesn't, you, doesn't do you any good if you don't open that Bible and read it. You can defend the King James Bible all day long, and we're King James to the core, but if you never get into it, it don't matter what translation you care if you ain't never going to read it. If you read, if you read verse 37 through verse 39, and I'm, I'm trying to land the plane, but if you read verse 37 through verse number 39, here's what Jesus does. He makes a very strong tie between him and the word, the written word and the living word. You search the scripture and you don't see me, but then you must have the word abiding in you. And the reason you don't have the word abiding in you is because you don't believe in me. If you've never studied the scriptures, you would see me there. And if you believed in me, you would see me in the scriptures. Now that sounds like circular reasoning is what it is. But what he's saying is there is an unbreakable bond between me and the scripture. A lost man can read this Bible and know academically stories and a lot of things, but it never gets inside of him. But then a man gets saved and Christ is in him and the Holy Spirit is in him and the Bible takes on a whole new light to him that it never had before. Before it was a religious textbook, it was academic is what it was. He doesn't become a Bible scholar overnight, Brother Doug, but all of a sudden he starts seeing things that he never saw before. Have you ever had a new convert come in and he wants to show you something out of the Bible and he is so excited he has just seen this and he shows you John 3 16 and you're like ho hum everybody knows this 
And what no, everybody doesn't know this. He's so excited and you're so bored because you've already seen it. I'm telling you that when you, when the word gets in you, the illuminating light of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to understand the Bible, you need to know the author. So he says, your scriptures are testify of me. You don't see me because you don't believe in me. You heard John, you didn't believe him. You saw my works, you didn't believe it. You read the scriptures, you didn't see me. Confirmation, many witnesses. But then notice, secondly, there's condemnation for rejecting the witnesses. Now watch this, verse 40. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. You think you have eternal life, but you don't have life because you don't believe my words. And here's all I'll say about this verse. He lays the blame squarely at their feet. It's not because you didn't have enough information. It's not because the evidence was cloudy. You have all the truth, all the scriptures, all the evidences, all the witnesses that you could possibly be given, and you won't come to me. Your issue is with me. And for that reason, you don't have life. And I don't think that you can stress that too much. If you are unbelieving and you're unwilling to come to Christ, the judge of the universe will lay the blame at your feet. Write this down. God receives all the credit for your salvation. You receive all the blame for your, for your unwillingness to come. The blame never falls on your circumstances. It is not going to fall on your parents. It is not going to fall upon your environment. It falls upon the unbeliever himself. Judgment is never because God is unwilling to receive. It's always because the sinner is unwilling to come. Now, the closing verses, he's going to give three condemnations. The first is there are superficial affections. Look at verse 41. I receive not honor from men, but I know you. Now, listen, that ye have not the love of God in you. Now, you have to put yourself in a Jew's footsteps standing there. And that Jew in his religion. And what he has just heard will almost be funny if it wasn't so tragic. Here's the reason why. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, every Jew living do it by heart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. That statement is part of of the Jewish Shema. The Shema was a prayer. It was like a pledge of allegiance to one God. They prayed it every morning. They prayed it every night. It was so important to them that they would take that statement, here, O Israel, our God is, our God is one, our Lord is one God. They would take that statement. They would write it on a tiny scrap of paper. They would put it in a little box and they would strap it to their foreheads or sometimes to their wrists. They literally walked around with that statement strapped to some place on their body. And Jesus said, looking at them, wearing a box with a scrap of paper that says, I love the Lord. Jesus says, you don't love God. It would be the equivalent, if I please, it would be the equivalent of a person wearing a WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? And never actually doing what Jesus would do. Jesus said you have the love of God on your wrist, but you don't have him in your heart. You said every day in your daily prayers, but you don't love God. It's in a box. It's not in your heart because you don't believe in me. You have a superficial affection. Since you don't believe in me, you don't love the Father. Here's the second condemnation. Spiritual deception. Look at verse 43. He says, I'm coming in my Father's name. Ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. If you reject me, there'll be another that'll come in my name or in his name, and you'll believe him. If you won't accept the true Christ, Satan will blind you so that you'll accept a false Christ. You read Jewish encyclopedias. The history, Jewish history is filled with false messiahs that came. The most famous of them was a man named Simon Bar Kokhba. Simon Bar Kokhba was the most famous antichrist in, the, in Jewish history. 
In AD 70, AD 70, Jerusalem was crushed by the Romans and the temple was completely destroyed. The Jewish state had revolted against Rome. They had led a revolt for about five, for about four years. Finally, Titus, the Roman general, marched into Jerusalem and absolutely crushed the city. Thousands of Jews were slaughtered. Thousands of Jews were dispelled and they were beaten so badly, there was no hope they would ever gain their independence again. Sixty years later, a very dynamic person came on the scene, Simon Bar Kokhba, and he decided to give it another try. He was a legendary figure. One legend said that he could crush a rock just with his feet by stepping on it. He gathered a ragtag army, began conducting guerrilla warfare against Roman garrisons. He fought for four years, had some little victories, and enough people started gathering, believing that he would be the Messiah. But in 136 AD, the Romans decided they had enough, marched back in Jerusalem, slaughtered a half million Jews. Jewish history is filled with stories like that. But the greatest Antichrist is yet to come. During the tribulation, during the tribulation, Antichrist is going to appear on the scene. He's going to be a man of peace. He's going to finally solve the problem of world peace. He's going to unite the world. And the nation of Israel and their blindness is going to follow him. He's going to come in his own name and they will receive him. And here's the reason why. That when a man rejects truth, he opens himself to the lies of Satan. People follow every con man that comes along, every false prophet, don't matter how outlandish his claim, doesn't matter. Every false prophet that, prophet that comes along has somebody following him and singing his praises. And if you reject Jesus Christ, Satan will give you something else to believe. You want a religion? There's plenty. Take your pick. You want a con man to follow? Take your pick. If you won't accept me, Jesus said, you'll accept somebody that comes in his own name. Then right, notice quickly, there's scriptural condemnation. He says in verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me, Moses is the most revered man in Jewish belief. Everything they believed came from Moses. The entire Old Testament, sometimes called Moses and the prophets. Moses. Abraham is their physical father. Moses is their spiritual father. The law that came from Moses. The Sabbath that came from Moses. The religious system, the sacrifices, the the, all of that came from Moses. And here's what Jesus said. You don't even believe Moses because Rose, Moses wrote about me, and you don't believe it. You claim Moses as your father, but Moses is going to be your accuser. You're going to stand before God one day, and it's going to be as if Moses is the prosecuting attorney, because you wouldn't believe what he said about me. Do you remember the rich man in hell in Luke chapter 16? you remember him? Father Abraham. Father Abraham. Send Lazarus to my five brethren. And here's what Abraham said. He has Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Oh, nay, Father Abraham, if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. Abraham said, no. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. Though one rose from the dead. The issue is Jesus Christ. That's the issue. If I came in here this morning and said, folks, I've been reading the Old Testament and I read it with a new light and I've come to believe that the Old Testament is about me. I'm reading these stories and I see now how that they are a prophecy of me. You would think I was a crackpot. That's exactly what Jesus said. And it is true. And the number one issue of life is what do you believe about him? Have you trusted him 
And if you have not, then you do not have eternal life. But then I tell you, and I'm done, I'm done, that when you become a Christian and you place your faith in him, that's not the end of the journey. It is the beginning of the journey because now life becomes all about him. It is not that we believe a doctrine and then you go on and live a life of sin and self-glory. No, Christ lives in you and through you and you live that. Here's what the Bible says in Acts 17. For in him we live and move and have our being. My life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. I don't believe in having a church life and a secular life. I've got a little religion and I got a little, I don't believe that. I got a little bit of religion on Sunday, but on Monday, I'm somebody else. No, every day of the week, every minute of my life ought to reflect back on him. My life is a witness. It is a witness of him. And how can you claim to be a Christian and the credentials not be in your life? Do your coworkers and your family and your lost neighbors, can they look at you and say, what a change in your life? There must be something about this Christ because this man is such a witness. And what a joy. What a joy it is to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How different your life would be. How different your life would be if Christ was not at the center of your world. You agree with that? What a passage of scripture. It's deep. It is rich. We have just barely scratched the surface. But Jesus says, I am God. I and the Father am one. And you must believe that to have eternal life. And here's the reasons. Here's the witnesses for believing that. Stand with me all over the building. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the patience of folks that are listening this morning and walking through a, a deep passage, and we've not gone deep, but tried to understand what you have said. Now, I pray this morning, I pray this morning, there's somebody in this room that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray that the information goes beyond head knowledge, it becomes heart knowledge, and that this morning they would confess their sin to you and they would trust Christ, what he did at Calvary, as their Lord and Savior. And then I pray for our church this morning. I know that there's not been a lot of application and preaching against things this morning, but may the Holy Spirit make Christ real in our heart. May our desire walking out of this building to live a life and to have a testimony that makes Christ look good to this world, that makes them thirsty for what I have. Speak to our hearts this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, and amen. Jacob, what number do you?